Take your sedatives, boo. <laughs> Sounds like Tom Haverford. Today, on From A to Ziggy, it's a film star. Nope. A pop star. Nope. A Marvel star. Mm-hmm. A black star. That's it. Welcome to From A to Ziggy, the only podcast where we talk about every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. There might be other podcasts that talk about David Bowie in alphabetical order, but not specifically us. Do you know one? No. I just, I've never seen the entire internet, but I, there might be. But it's the only one with us. Um, it's the only one where we discuss. Where we discuss the David Bowie songs. And I am Travis. And I am Thomas. And today we are talking about Black Star. We're going to get in the Wayback Machine and go all the way back to a long and distant time. January of 2016. Or actually, November of 2015, if we want to go all the way back to single release. Yeah. Black Star. Black Star. So this is the lead track on the final David Bowie album. Came out on David Bowie's 69th birthday. So the original cut of the song was like 11 minutes long. Right. The 10 minute version is the radio edit. Yeah, this is, this is the radio edit. This is trimmed down. Because <laughs> iTunes won't let artists have singles over 10 minutes, which is absurd. A, why do you have that rule? B, how are you going to enforce it on David freaking Bowie? Like, if, if Beyonce put out a 10-minute-plus single... Did they? Did she? No. Oh. But... Oh, if she... If she were to if do she that, were to do so. I wonder how iTunes would react. If she's like, okay, then I'm not going to put my stuff on iTunes. They would cave so hard. Yeah, I guess it's to avoid, like, I don't know, maybe it's to keep classification between LP and single and EP distinct, and you so, you, so that you can't just, like tack together five two-minute songs and call I it one single. Guess. I mean, it's kind of what Green Day did with Jesus of Suburbia. Is that right? They did a Jesus of Suburbia? You didn't know about this? No. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to table that. We'll talk about that. I was going to bring this up later. We'll, we'll table that. Talk about that, yeah. So it's part of this rock opera, and it's basically one song that's nine and a half minutes long. It's got, like, different suites to it. Uh-huh. And then they put it out as a single, which was, I, I was blown away the first time I ever heard it on the radio. Like, that's absurd. How do you put on a 10 minute single? It's, did the DJ have like really bad food last night? Like what's <laughs> going on here? I was, I was worried about her. But yeah, I just think it's iTunes being like, no one's got an attention span anymore. No one's going to listen to a 10 minute single. I would. I would listen to the, the longer version of this. I'm, I'm actually curious to, to hear how it sounds. I'd yeah. like to, for it to come out at some point, but apparently the reason he didn't put out the longer version, too, is that he didn't want there to be two separate versions. Yeah. Just sort of went along with the arbitrary iTunes yeah. restriction. The song itself is... It's strange. It's a very strange song. It's a strange album. It's a very strange song Yes. Perhaps? As almost literally halfway through turns into a completely different song. Yeah. So the first half is just like really like concept jazz basically where like it's challenging it doesn't you know stuff doesn't fall in line like you expect music to a lot of times but it's yeah it's dark too it's a lot darker it sounds kind of ritualistic or monastic yeah the content of the the words sounds from the very beginning very esoteric in the villa of orman like what's that even mean where's that probably somewhere in bali maybe yeah (laughs) although it sounds more nordic well, it is Nordic. There's a town in Norway apparently called Orman um, or Ormanstad or something. So, I, like, the, I close my eyes and I'm picturing like it's like a Viking village, like in the yeah. villa of Orman, and there's just like this, it's like a public, like a gathering in the square for an execution. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, also that, on the day of execution, only women kneel and smile. Yeah, very dark. Very dark and very mysterious, the opening part. And so this, we've, we've got this 10-minute song that shifts between different stages. It kind of is a callback to Station to Station, which we don't know about yet because we haven't talked about it. In this it. universe, that song hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it's, it doesn't exist yet, but Station to Station will be a callback to Black Star. We have a song that shifts rather dramatically, and I feel like this one does it more skillfully. In Station to Station, you have maybe like a measure or two, a drum fill, and then it just immediately goes into something completely different. Whereas this one has a really long and subtle shift from the first section to the middle section. And then there's an even slower, gradual buildup into the original mysterious, dark first part underlying the second part that sounds more like, you know, more like something you'd hear on the radio. But then that, that subtle, dark figure like emerges slowly throughout that part and, and then just sort of takes over. There's the chanting, there's the I'm a black star repeated yeah. over and over, the way it's used and the way it kind of comes in in unexpected places and it sounds so strange. It's got this weird interval between the notes that are being sung. Yeah, and then it, and then it comes back into the, the original part. It's a weird structure. Yeah, so the middle part, it almost reminds me, it, it almost feels like a Broadway song in the middle part, like a kind of like a, not like a big body Broadway song, but like, you know, kind of a calmer song from a play. He's almost doing like a 70s, 80s Bowie voice in that part. And that's the only thing I kind of find interesting. It's like, it's not in different parts. It feels like he's kind of calling back to different points in his career with how he's hitting the notes and like mm. his inflections. The early part of the first shift, like at the five minute point, he almost is singing in like a 70s Bowie voice over this like orchestral, almost like Broadway song, punctuated with these like droning, processed, I'm a black star, just like, and yeah. it jars you. And then like as the, like the I'm a black star, not a film star, not a Marvel star, he kind of shifts like kind of into 80s Bowie and then comes back into like modern Bowie. Hmm. Yeah, his voice has changed over the years. In the 90s and 2000s, he sounded more... You could you could tell he sounded older. A lot of times he would sing in a deeper register. Yeah. He just sounded more tired or more... Which which he was putting on, you know. But he sounds older and wiser because he's able to. As something happens to your voice as you get older. I'm still waiting for my voice to change. <laughs> uh, this is a symptom of my prolonged adolescence, mm. I think. Um, there's the title, Black Star. Yeah. There's a lot of theories about... There's a lot of theories. About what it all means. So one theory is that it's an Elvis reference. Right, there's um, an Elvis song called Black, Black Star. Black Star. And, uh, with a space in between. Yeah, but part of the theory is that it kind of it, it alludes to him knowing that this is going to be it for him. Because there's a line in the song where Elvis says, When a man sees his Black Star, he knows his time has come. Which, there's a lot of references to death in this song, too. So maybe there's a connection there? Yeah, I mean, the whole song does feel like it is, if not uh, about his death necessarily, but it's definitely a song about death. It's yeah. just this character being executed. Like, it is very clearly a song about someone seeing their black star. But, twist, at the start of the change, where it becomes like that classical tune. Beginning of uh, the middle section? Yeah, the beginning of the middle section, it kind of sounds like it feels like a possession. Interesting. Like his spirit kind of got caught halfway, and then this other dark spirit. You're saying something else took his place, the place of his spirit in his body? It feels that way. Or like took a hold of his spirit and then kind of just didn't go completely. 
Either the body was possessed or the spirit was possessed and kept in some kind of limbo and remained in the town. I always... Declaring that he is a black star. Interesting. And then how do you take the rest of the lyrics? Like... He's trying to... Like, he's like a black star here to take all the people with him. Like, if I'm going down, I'm taking you all down with, like, this evil spirit. Hmm. Just go with me. I'm going to take you home. Take your passport and your shoes and your sedatives. You're a flash of the pan. I'm the great I am. Which, you know, I am the great I am. There's a reference. I am a god. Yeah, that's that's a reference. That's a literary reference. There's a book about that, right? Um, I am that I am. That's what the burning bush said to Moses. Yes. So, yeah. In the beginning, you do kind of picture like a less modern society. But it's almost like he's having to explain to a more advanced society that, no, I'm not a film star. I'm not a pop star. I'm not these other kinds of stars that you think you know. I am the black star. The only star that matters. Something different than your experience. Right. Something... Outside your universe. Right. Interesting. I always saw like a kind of messianic parallel in this song. So like think of Jesus in the Bible or think of uh, any, any figure, a leader figure who's also a martyr. So something happened on the day he died. Somebody else has to take his place. You know, someone else has to lead the movement that they start. And it takes courage to do. They, they stand up and bravely cry that they are going to take on this burden or... Uh, fulfill the legacy of whoever it was you know the apostles you know spreading all the spreading across the nations so again more theories just more theories this it's a it's, this is typical it's typical bowie and that it's so open for interpretation that the world will never know what it's actually about oh and then there's sort of a gnostic connection in uh the last part of that uh, middle section where he says i can't answer why but i can tell you how we were born upside down, born the wrong way, round. It's sort of like all of us, you know, had some flawed birth. We have some kind of birth uh, defect inherent to the, the human race. We're, you know, we're, it's the fall, you know, it's, it's the corruption of the material world where, you know, we were perfect spirits and then here we are in this imperfect, uh, corrupted, marred world. And then the black star seems to be the one with the knowledge the one who will you know, bring the knowledge to enlighten and uh, help people to transcend, take them home, which, or the light bringer, which brings into play the whole Luciferian connection and Crowley and all that. Actually, there's a Crowleyan reference directly too. Uh, the center of all is from this ritual called the Star Sapphire, and there's all kinds of movements associated with it. You, know, you do it in a group and you recite all this Latin stuff, and one part of it is in the center of all with with the candle and the women kneeling and all this stuff it seems and especially with the imagery that you get in the video it all seems you know like a kind of an occult ritualistic kind of thing going on so there's that too it's very evocative it's got a whole lot of really cool elements yeah this is like this is now one of my favorite bowie songs it's grown on me this week the first time i listened to it was like a couple days after or the day after bowie died and it felt like I'm sorry because something happened the day he died. Right. So you had to wait till the next day. Right. Nah. Yeah. I, it was definitely it was a challenging listen. I was like, this is really good, but I'm not sure how often I'll listen to it because it really it's not something you can just like sit down and like just hang out and listen to this super dark, complicated song. Well, I mean, I don't know what kind of parties you go to, but. <laughs> Yeah, every time I listen to it, I was like, this song is actually a lot better than I... Like, it was, it was one of those songs like, this is brilliant, but I'm not sure how much I can listen to it because it is so complex. But now I'm like, I can totally listen to this song just sit and listen to it and just... Because it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it kind of speaks to it, like, what he does very well. And that's 
take a style of music that you probably wouldn't ordinarily listen to. Like, I wouldn't really listen to a lot of, like, concept jazz. It's just not something I've ever been into. But because he does that kind of thing so well, it makes it more digestible for people like me who maybe it's, like, outside their musical comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he brings in elements. Uh, he, the, the guy was super erudite, you know, always reading, always uh, exploring different kinds of artistic venues. And yeah, he would bring some of those things in. Uh, his most interesting work is like when he brings those things in that you're not really familiar with, um, yeah. but in a way that uh, is sort of more palatable in the mainstream. And he said that one of the, uh, speaking of things in the mainstream, he um, cited that he'd been listening to the new Kendrick Lamar album a lot. Yeah. And you can hear a lot of the elements. It's got a lot of weird jazz on it. Like some songs are pretty straightforward rap songs, but then these like really weird jazz songs. Cool. I'll have to check that out. It's excellent. It's a really good album. Um, And it also reminded me a little bit of, um, have you listened to the the David Byrne and St. Vincent record? No. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit too. That album's a little less, it's more easily digestible, but has a lot of similar elements like electronic jazz. So yeah, he and he sought out this jazz band in particular to work on this album with him. He uh, he had his touring band that he did a lot of records with, but for this one he went with he went in a totally different direction. He just took a band that he found in a jazz club, Donnie McCaslin's uh, band. So you hear a lot of Donnie McCaslin on saxophone in in this song, and uh, yeah, and he he just played it with them, and it brings this whole different different sound to the record altogether from anything before. And that's probably probably a good thing uh, because if you listen to the record before, it sounds kind of stale in comparison. I think that was kind of why any time with, um, with older like legacy artists, I always get a little tentative about listening to their new stuff because you always kind of expect it's going to be just kind of like a stale. You expect Atomica, basically. Yeah. It's like kind of a perfect embodiment of like what I think of when a band like the Rolling Stones or like Aerosmith or someone like that puts out an album and you're like, oh Christ, like, this, yeah. is gonna, this is going to be another one that kind of puts the nail in the coffin. Right. But then, you know, you listen to it and you're like, oh man, this is actually pretty brilliant. And it was because he... Hopefully. Well, I mean, in this case. In this case, it was. Yeah. Usually it's not. But he, he said he was consciously avoiding rock and roll. Yeah, which makes sense because the album before, he was just, he was in a kind of a comfortable alt-rock contemporary sphere where it just it was it was safe the songs were okay but it all sounded kind of safe and like kind of like uh just treading water just repeating himself i mean it was kind of just getting himself back out there because it's been a long time since he put an album out so i guess maybe after getting that first one out of the system like all right let's do something really really interesting and complex yeah speaking of um electronic jazz the drummer mark juliana said in an interview in uh, modern drummer the demos that Bowie put together for this song, used drum machine, obviously, but Juliana was trying to recreate the sound. So he did some things with his playing and with his, and adjusting the tone of his drums to make it sound more like an electronic drum kit. So he tuned down the snare drum and uh, had a Moog synthesizer playing along. So it was triggered by his kick drum. So it would go along with the kick drum. So it just sort of sounded like a sampled drum. Um, I guess we should talk about the video. Yeah, let's get into the video. That's, that's a whole thing, too. Directed by Johan, directed by Johan Renk, who has done music videos for Beach House, Beyonce, Madonna, The Knife. Those all sound like pretty good credentials. Yeah. 
He's done episodes of Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead, and this song came to him for the series that he directed every episode of, The Last Panthers, which looks really interesting. It kind of looks like a really violent crime drama, kind of along the lines of uh, True Detective. Ah. Looks pretty intense. And like the song itself, it's very evocative and mysterious, kind of surreal. There's, there's no clear narrative. No. And every viewer is going to put together something different. Maybe there's a meaning behind it all that's intended, but there's multiple ways of interpreting it. So there's a lot of weird elements to it. A lot of strange visuals. And yeah, there's the, the dead astronaut. Which people rush to interpret as Major Tom, but I don't see it that way. It's just the easiest answer. Any, anytime there's a space image, David Bowie is at Major Tom. Like, it's just... Right. But he's got jewels on his skull and uh, <laughs> duct tape on his uh, spacesuit, which is you know just a nice little touch of verisimilitude because, of course, we know duct tape fixes everything. Fixes everything. Spacesuits, everything. NASA relies on duct tape. Um, so there's, a, there's a woman with a tail. There's the woman with the tail, which was his own, Bowie's only real bit of input on the video. Is that right? Um, oh, no, no, sorry. I, mi- I, I misread that. So the, he... he was very collaborative. It was highly collaborative, and that was one of his many suggestions. Oh yeah, I was totally backwards. Um, <laughs> um, Take what you said and just flip that all. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was sending them to constant sketches and ideas, and his only explanation for the woman having a tail was that it was quote kind of sexual, um, yeah. which is really bizarre. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's an appendage, and you know, it's unclothed. Yeah. I guess. I guess. Um, and I will say, if it wasn't if it wasn't a David Bowie video, there are some times where you would think, holy crap, this is so overblown and kind of ridiculous. Such as? Like, the scene, like, when the music shifts and the light comes up and David Bowie's standing there holding the quote-unquote, the, uh, I'm doing quote fingers and saying the Bible. The Black Star. The book. Black Star on it. When that scene first starts, you're like, oh, man, if this was someone not as awesome as David Bowie, this, I would probably be chuckling a little bit right now. If it was another artist who didn't have the, the gravitas, it would just feel so self-important and overblown and just Well, silly. also, I think one thing that makes it more effective is that you don't see his face before. You don't see his full face yeah. before that. And that's, that's just haunting. The scenes when he has the... The button eyes? The, yeah. Haunting. Terrifying. Yeah. Great. Um, and then the, the people it. dancing, the Twitch... Dancing is also yeah, also kind of terrifying. Yeah, in the attic, kind of in the, the, the secret place. Like uh, at times it kind of feels like, that feels like an X-Files episode at times. Yeah, they seem like, they seem like uh, kind of like acolytes, you know, some sort of disciples. Two males, one black, one white, two, and one female. I'm sure there's something significant in there. And then, yeah, he, his, his face is revealed. He's holding up the light, the, the book, and everybody's sort of looking off screen. You don't see what they're looking at, but uh, they sort of trace from audience left to audience right and then back again. It's like, it's like he's, he's bestowing something. Then the, uh, the woman comes back, the woman with the tail, and you just see her close up. Yeah. You don't see... So, and, it, and then you see Bowie's eyes close up, and it seems like they're sort of communicating with each other or they're seeing each other. But not literally, not like in the same room. They're like communing from opposite ends of the universe or something. Because it seems like she's on a different planet. It seems like she's out in space somewhere. Yeah, it um, looks like she is. In this mysterious city somewhere. 
then there's the, the ritual with the circle of women, the one that kneels down, she gets the skull on her back. And at that point, uh, there's also the, the three scarecrows in the wheat field. Yeah. Who look like the, uh, the three crosses on uh, Calvary. And they're, they're sort of writhing, grinding their yeah, pelvises. Really, yeah, suggestively strange visual, and they look, yeah, they're horrifying. Yeah, they, they look kind of like clowns, like really scary clowns. Which kind of reminds me of this uh, video by the guys that did the Church of the Subgenius. They had, they had clowns like taking over the, the the world and subjecting. It's weird. I, I shouldn't even mention it. It's it's like so <laughs> weird that uh, you don't even want to know. Anyway, clown on a crucifix. I'll just leave it at that. Um. Yeah, and then at that point, when the woman accepts the skull on her back, that's when the beast emerges from wherever it was and runs into the wheat field and. It looks like it's it's like a the, giant evil version of the. It's like if the dog from the cover of Odile just roll, got hit with some sort of mysterious gamma rays or something and sprung to life and was terrifying. Yeah, it looks like a. Barkley from Sesame Street meet, <laughs> yeah. meets Baron Samidi, the uh, zombie king. Uh, yeah, it's terrifying, terrifying. Yeah. But except it's one of those things where if it weren't for the context of the video, all the weird stuff going on around it, the lighting, it would look so ridiculous because you do get a pretty good look at it. Yeah. You don't see it's. It doesn't seem to have a face, but it's definitely got hanging cords and hooks, like kind of horns for hands. It looks like it would look pretty ridiculous if you had that outfit in your living room. Yeah. Um, it would just look, you know, like a weird, it would look like a pile of laundry. <laughs> again, and, that, and that, this whole video, I feel like if it was, again, if it was anyone but David Bowie, it would have blown up on the internet. People would have made fun of it for a couple months, made silly memes out of the video, and then forgotten about it. If it was yeah. anyone but David Bowie, because it is just so ridiculous at times. But he pulls it off. Yeah, I don't know. I, th I, th I think it's just effective on its own. I think it would be an interesting video, whoever made it. I feel like in the current landscape of music videos and how people view things through the internet prism, videos like that can be kind of easily seen through more ironic eyes. Yeah, we're pretty jaded to... We are. And, and we're pretty desensitized to weirdness, absurdity, surrealism, because, you know, we get a dose of it every day. Anything else about Black Star? I guess we should also note that this was his first number one. Did it get to number one? This, I don't know if the single did, but the album did. The album, yeah. So I feel like this is it's, it's the album of the same name. Merits some okay. mentioning for this one that this was, yeah, the first Bowie album to hit number one on Billboard. Because there's that weird rush to buy. I, I've never understood that, the like rush to buy albums from artists after they die. Like this one at least makes sense because it was literally right at, like it had just come out. Mm. So that I get. But the rest of his albums also took up the top spots on the Billboard yeah. album charts. Right? And like I, I was kind of in the process of building my Bowie on vinyl collection around that time. Like we had, my girlfriend and I had just ordered like a week before we got some Amazon money for Christmas and ordered Let's Dance, and it was still in transit when he passed away. But yeah, there's a lot of people that like it, you know it happened when I remember seeing stuff on MTV News when Nirvana died. People rushing out to go buy Nirvana albums, or like when Prince died. Everyone Nirvana died. Out. All of them. All of them. 
I say while wearing a Foo Fighters t-shirt. <laughs> and then when Prince died, I saw a feature of this girl who was like, I'm a diehard Prince fan and I'm here to buy Purple Rain. It's like, if you're a big Prince fan, why don't you already have Purple Rain? Why are you buying it now? So I never understand like this like rush to buy all the records from someone right after they pass away. Mm. If you were that big a fan, probably you'd have it already. Although I probably will find myself buying more prints because like, you, you know, when, a lot, when an artist dies, you kind of go back and watch a lot of their videos. Well, there's a lot of prints. There's a lot of prints. So, I mean. It's like, where do you begin? Prints. Yeah, prints. I mean, luckily I already had Purple Rain, so I didn't have to fight through that crowd. The Prince um, podcast is going to take forever. Oh my God, it take eons. Um, and actually, no, so that, that's why I didn't listen to Blackstar until the day after. So the day he died, I just went home and watched a bunch of live videos on YouTube. And then when I was on my way up, I was at work and I was kind of taking a social media break. This was like a really slow day. Right. Someone had tweeted like, David Bowie put forth all this effort on this album. The least you can do is listen to it. I was like, you're right. Huh. Comedian on Twitter. And I'm going to go huh. home and I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen to Blackstar. I'm not going to read anything while I'm listening to it. I'm not going to watch anything. I'm just going to sit in my bed, and listen to Blackstar. Uh, which is a good experience. I, I recommend it. It's, yeah. you know, it's a, I kind of wish a, I'd done it on headphones, not it's a just shorter, on Spotify on my TV. Oh, yeah. It's a shorter album. It's pretty easy to sit through and well, take in. Short track list-wise, but the songs are pretty long and meaty. But it's less than an hour. The, the whole thing is less than an hour. There's no bonus tracks. There's no bonus tracks. Sort of expanding it, making it feel like a, you know, a slog. Yeah. And there are some really good songs on there that actually I'm looking forward to getting to. There are some... Yeah. Yeah, really good tunes on there. But it is. It's an album that you just, you can't really do it. Like, it's got to be, I'm going to go home and I'm going to listen to Black Star. Hmm. When, you, uh, when you go home and listen to Black Star, how, how will you, uh, how, how, much, how much will you enjoy it? Um, <laughs> let's quantify it. Yeah. Um, I, oh man, because it really, it just keeps, this song does really keep growing on me because it's so just good and complex. There's little bits in it you find every time. Every time you listen to it, you just like find something new you appreciate. I'm gonna give this song four and a half solitary candles. They're not solitary anymore, if they. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, but it's it's yeah. a paradox, like Bowie yeah, would exactly. want. Exactly. Right. Um, do you care to elaborate? Care, um, I mean, we've, we've we've spent however long talking about it's yeah, about it's how just, awesome it is. It's just a very it's a good complex song. Yeah, I. Uh, I would give it five solitary candles, one for each of the elements. There's the four elements and the quintessence, which of course you can't uh, access unless you have some occult esoteric knowledge, which I think this song bestows. Mm -hmm. Listen to it enough and you and the secrets of the universe will be revealed to yeah. you. There's a lot of YouTube videos about, about <laughs> all that. Oh, and I guess we should, before you rate it, we should mention, there's not really too many covers of it, but there was that brilliant performance on the Bowie tribute show. It was what? It was Amanda Palmer, and I can't remember who else. Jarek Bischoff and uh, Anna Calvi. Uh, and they did do an album. They did a, an EP, rather, of Bowie covers shortly after he died. They had different singers and performers coming in. And this was this was the one that Anna Calvi was on. So yeah, and then they did it live uh, at the tribute shows in New York, and brilliant performance. Yeah, it was, it was great. Definitely one of the two or three best of the night. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was excellent. It was powerful as hell. It was fun to listen to it and like kind of peek over and watch my girlfriend's reaction to watching it because like it's a weird song. It was the first time she'd heard it, so she was kind of like, "What? What is going on right now? This is." Because it's a really bizarre song. When you hear it live, 
and you're kind of hearing the lyrics more, you realize just really how bizarre it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it blew the roof off the place. And sadly not recorded, but there is the live version. They, did, they do have that EP out, which I recommend listening to. It's called Strung Out on Heaven, and you can find it online. Anything else we should talk about for Black Star? I think we hit all the points. We got pretty into it. All right. Uh, well, um, that's it for Black Star. So we I, we had been talking about some long songs, and I had mentioned about the Jesus of Suburbia, and I guess now we'll move on to something from the Buddha of Suburbia. Yeah. Let's see. This is not an easily segwayable track. No, we can do this. this. (laughs) I have faith. This this has been our uh, our weird satanic occult uh, ritual. We have the body of the sacrifice victim uh, on the floor here in uh, from A to Ziggy Studios, and it's bleeding like a craze, Dad. Uh, That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Uh, But except next week, next uh, next episode, Friday's episode is going to be. Bleed like a craze, Dad. Uh, join us then. Until then, you can uh, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, from A to Ziggy. From A to Ziggy.com, leave a comment on the page for this episode. What did you think of Black Star, the song? Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, the best way to support us is to go to iTunes and subscribe and also leave a review and a rating. Uh, that'll really help us out a lot. If you have a friend who you'd like to recommend the show to, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Share uh, it on the Facebooks. Tell two friends. And they'll tell two friends. And they'll tell two friends. And then there'll be like 16 people listening to this podcast. Yeah. Right. Until uh, Friday, I am Thomas. And I am Travis. I'm going to take you home. I'm a black star. Say it's true. They got a message.